We always know where Chuck's sitting. Come on. Was that, was that Chuck whistling again? Come on. I know. Can any, I know. Anybody else got any game like that in here? Is he the only one? Nice, nice. Come on. I know. You're just you looking for an opportunity. Hey, we want to welcome Shani back from deployment. Come on. Make some noise. It's so good to have you here. You know, we always like to do a giveaway. So we're going to give you our $10 Starbucks gift card. So, you know, we celebrated Veterans Day this week. We have such a, an appreciation for our military families, and Shani's in the military, and she's been deployed, and so we missed her while she was gone. So this is her first weekend back, and so it's good to have you, good to have you in the house with us. So we're loving this series, come on, that we're in. We want, to be, we want to be stretched in our faith in Christ. We don't want to live a life of mediocrity. And this book by David Platt has been stretching us, causing us to ask radical questions. I did something radical today. I have a confession. So Vanessa was on the, the, uh, the ladies' day out today, the, the ladies' brunch. Ladies' brunch. So I was at home. Derek was at Origins, and I had the two kids. So I had to get them dressed today all by myself, pick out their outfits. So... If you could pay attention to what they look like, I would appreciate that. <laughs> but we're also, we've got something we've got to go to after the service. And so, you know, you have to bring something. So I was, I went to the Origins Conference for the first part of it. And come on, we have the best young people. Come on. So I came home late last night so Vanessa could go to the ladies' brunch so I could, you know, stay home with, with, with Ethan and Claire. And, but you've, the, the dish that we wanted to bring couldn't be made ahead of time so it would be fresh, right? So she's getting out all the ingredients from the pantry and putting them on the counter and running out the rest because, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it, right? And so, so the kids, we, 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 our, our pantry door is painted like a chalkboard so you can write on it and, and we have some fun with that and, and Vanessa puts out, you know, every night what we're having for dinner on there. And, and, uh, and so she kept going in out of the pantry, and, and the kids were playing on there. And so they had to keep getting out of the way. And so they said, well, Mom, what are you doing? She's like, I'm, I'm getting out some things for, for the, uh, the dish that Dad's going to make later. And Ethan was like, what, what did you just say? <laughs> did you say that Dad was going to make something? And then, and then this is what he said. Is he making something that we're taking with us that other people are going to have to eat? And this is what he said, that's weird. Because <laughs> I do not do any cooking, admittedly. I don't even grill. I'm just telling you, I don't, I don't even grill. It's terrible. I know it's terrible. It's true confessions. So I was radical today. It's crying. Onions really do make you cry. That is not a myth. I'm cutting those onions up, and I'm like, oh, wow. I'm, it was terrible. So it's, but it, I'm telling you, it tastes delicious. So maybe I'll do something like that again next year. We'll see. see. But part of the series, Radical, is that, that God is going to ask us to step into moments where we've not stepped into before. You know, that, that's a funny one. Come on. God's going to ask you to step into serious ones where you're, you're going to have this feeling. If you are a fully devoted follower of Christ, to get ready for this feeling, God, I'm not sure I can do that. Because that's what he's going to keep calling us to 
all the days of our lives. And so each week, that if you remember from the beginning of the series, we handed out these little Scrabble pieces uh, that you could carry around and keep with you. And I've been keeping mine in my briefcase, and I take it out and hold it to pray every now and again, that, that each week that we're picking a word that spells radical for us here at the City Life Church. And tonight we're spelling radical G-O-D. We serve a radical God, and we want to talk about some of the ways that he's radical tonight. So this is our big idea that we're kind of unpacking tonight, that God is not a picture of moderation, but rather one of excess, overabundance, extravagance, lavishness, Jehovah Azotos. Excess can get us in trouble in our humanity, can it? There's some things that it's good for us to be lavish in. We want to be lavish in our generosity. We want to be lavish in our forgiveness. But with our human limitation, we have to be careful. God does not have to be careful. There is no inclination or no possibility of sinfulness in who he is. So everything that he does, he does extravagantly. He is lavish in all of who he is. And all throughout the Old Testament, we find these wonderful names that he gives to himself, right? Jehovah Nisi, the, the Jehovah my banner. There's Jehovah Rapha, my healer. And there's this incredible list that if you're looking for a study, you can pick up a good study Bible and look at all the names of God. But there's also some names that we find of God that are embedded in the New Testament. And I believe that this is one of them, Jehovah Azotos. And we find this word in the story of the parable of the prodigal son. And we're going to kind of unpack that parable together tonight. Many of you have heard it. It's one of my favorite parables because every time you go back to it, there's more in there that you didn't see the time before. It is deep. It is rich. It's got layers, and we're going to peel back some of those layers. And one that we find tonight is an incredible name that Jesus gives to us about our Father in heaven. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Luke 15. Let's read it. It's a longer parable, but let's read the story together, just in case that you've not heard it before. It says, he also said, a man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. That word foolish, and also in some translations, it's riotous. And this is the word in the Greek that is azotos. Tim Keller has an incredible book called A Prodigal God, and I agree with Pastor Tim Keller that we have mistitled this. We call it The Prodigal Son. It should be called The Prodigal Father. Prodigal doesn't mean wondering. That's what I grew up thinking prodigal meant. I thought prodigal meant to wonder. Prodigal means riotous. It means extravagant. It means lavish. It means radical. And the most extravagant person in this story is not the wastefulness of the debauchery of the son's life. The most extravagant person in the story is the father who forgave so much. Come on, Jehovah Azotos. We serve a radical God, a riotous God, a God that is lavish in all that he does for us as children. Verse 14, after he had spent many, after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing left. Then he went to work for one of the citizens in that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he longed to eat his fill from the carob pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? Come on, God is a God of more than enough. And here I am dying of hunger. He's a God of more than enough, but come, come on, because he's Jehovah Azotos. He's a God of extravagance. 
I'll get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So he got up and he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, we're going to talk about what that means tonight. His father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Come on, confession frees us. But the father told his slaves, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Come on, Jehovah Azotos. The best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And then bring the fatted calf, the best one they had, and slaughtered it. Let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. But the story doesn't end there. The older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing, and he thought he was at the City Life Church. (laughs) So he summoned one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fatted calf because he has come back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in, so his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, he, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, who slaughtered the, you have slaughtered the fatted calf for him. Son, he replied to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. Jehovah Azotos. He's a God of extravagance. He's lavish. He's radical. And one of the ways that he's radical, which we learn in the story, is that he is radically unconventional. He does not do what you expect him to do. Radically unconventional. And we see it right in the beginning of this parable. In verse 12, it says, The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. And what we find here is is what's not said, which is instructive. The father does not plead with his son. The father does not say to the son, I don't think this is a good idea. The father doesn't say to the son, he doesn't beg him, he doesn't fall on his knees, he doesn't grab a hold of his leg and say, don't do this thing. He says just the opposite. You want the money? I'll give you the money. I'll give you the money. Because the father knows that sometimes the only teacher that we can learn from are the consequences of our mistakes. And it is a picture of how God often deals with us, and it can be a little bit frightening to think that he deals with us this way, isn't it? He is an unconventional God. There are times and moments where we're about ready to take big steps of disobedience where he comes in and says, do not do this. But there are other times in our lives where God gives us over to our own depravity because he knows that consequences are transformative consequences shape and change us in ways that nothing else can. He lets us fail and suffer beyond what seems reasonable, always there to restore us, but never to rescue us from needed lessons to be learned. 
I was reading in the book of Hebrews this weekend, and I was studying in Hebrews 9 and 10, two phenomenal chapters in the Bible. And right in there, in verse 31, there's this incredible verse that says, it is a frightening thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It is a frightening thing to fall into the hands of a living God because sometimes in the radically unconventional nature of who he is, he lets us suffer. You might be here tonight and you've made some mistakes and maybe you're frustrated with God or you're angry with God or you're disappointed with God because you feel as though that he's letting you languish in your mistakes for too long. It's part of the unconventional nature of who he is. He is trying to create something inside of you that only desperate circumstances can sometimes build in us. We see it in the story of Peter. We're going to just give you these verses here. All these outlines are always online, so maybe you can spend some time with it this week. But we see Jesus in his relationship with Peter. In Matthew 18, 18, he commissions him. He tells Peter, you're going to be one of the apostles. As we talked about in the, the, the radical Bible, that he gave them the authority to, to, to expand Scripture. He commissions Peter. You're going to be one of my faithful ones that I give this work to build after I've gone. But then in Matthew 26, 34, we see he gives him a warning. He says, Peter, you're going to deny me. How many times? Come on, not once, not twice, three times. And then in the Gospel of Luke, we find the most amazing thing. Some of the other Gospel writers record for us the story of, Jesus, of, of Peter's betrayal. But Luke tells us that Jesus was in the courtyard when it was happening. It tells us that he looked at Peter when Peter was making the denial. And Jesus said nothing. Jesus, come on, he is the creator of the universe. In the Gospel of John, it tells us that everything that was made was made by him. He had the ability, he had the power to rescue Peter out of his sin and he stood silent. And you might say, well, Jesus had a lot going on in himself. You know, he's facing death. Come on. He was not troubled by what he was facing. He was troubled by the idea of taking on the sins of the world. We know that from the Garden of Gethsemane. But it's not because it, he was weak. It's not because he was, he was being stretched to his limit. Come on, his power has no limit. He's not distracted in the garden because of his suffering. He's being intentional about letting Peter languish in his sin because he knows that his sin and its consequences are going to do something transformative in Peter's life. And Jesus knows that Peter has got to change if he's going to fulfill his destiny. Then we turn to John 21, 15 through 17. After Jesus had risen from the dead, we see him restoring Peter. Come on. Then 50 days later in Acts 2, 14, we see Peter, come on, standing up, giving the very first sermon of this burgeoning movement called Christianity, the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2, and 3,000 people came to Christ on that day. You've heard it said many times before that Jesus is not so concerned about our comfort because he's interested in our character. But you need to keep moving it forward. The reason why he's concerned about our character is because he's concerned about our cause. He's interested in our character because our character prepares us for what we're supposed to do. He's interested in our 
character because our character postures us and positions us and enables us to fulfill a divine destiny that you have and that I have. So if you are a person that's suffering in some mistakes, if you are a person that's languishing in the aftermath of some consequences of foolishness, take heart. God has not abandoned you to that place. He's put you in that place because he's trying to build something inside of you that's making you ready for your tomorrow. All right, we're going to work through a little bit of Isaiah 40. I've broken it up into three different parts because this is one of the most boastful chapters in the Bible. Come on, we're going to pick up for 18 about the radical nature of God. Who will you compare God with? What likeness will you compare him to? To an idol? Something a smelter casts? We don't use the word smelter enough in our modern day world, do we? Come on. Smelter. Just feels good on the tongue. And a, and a metal worker plates with gold and makes silver welds for it to one who shapes a pedestal, choosing wood that does not rot, who looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not fall over. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not considered the foundations of the earth? God is enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a thin cloth and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He produces princes to nothing and makes the judges of the earth to be irrational. They are barely planted, barely sown. Their stem hardly takes root in the ground when he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind carries them away like stubble. He is a radical God. And one of the ways that he's radical is that he's radically unconventional, that he is not afraid to let us suffer in our sin so that the consequence of that sin can bear up something in our lives to transform us. He is radically unconventional because he cares about our future impact. He cares about your future impact. He knows the purpose that he's called you to in this life. We are so today-minded, aren't we? We are so temporal in our thinking. God is eternal in everything that he does. He is never caught up in the moment. He sees the impact that you are supposed to have, that I'm supposed to have, and he is willing to let us walk through the fire of consequence if in doing so it makes us ready to have the impact in this world that we're supposed to have. You have a destiny. You have a purpose. From the foundations of the earth, God saw who you were. He dreamed a dream for your life. And he is undeterred in his determination to see you through to the end to make the mark this side of heaven that you're supposed to make. And he is going to do whatever it takes to make you ready for that moment. Come on, he's radically unconventional. He's radically emotional. He's radically emotional. Come on, we serve a radical God, Jehovah Azotos. Verse 20, so he got up and went to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him. Let's just talk about that for a minute. It's important that we remember that the father in the story is God. It's not an earthly father. Come on, it's, it's a picture of our heavenly father. It's a picture of our heavenly father. And so if you read this story as a father who's sitting on the porch of his house, and he is wondering if his son is going to make it. 
not knowing where he is and what's happening, and he's sitting there anxiously at the end of every day, just hoping and pining that just maybe by some chance his son's going to come home. You misread this story because the father is a picture of the father. So when it says that he saw him a long way off, I don't think Jesus is saying that he was looking and straining his eyes onto the rise. And I think that Jesus was saying to us, come on, that it is a picture of God and that he sees us no matter where we are. The book of Hebrews chapter 4, come on, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. But everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The picture of the father seeing his son a long way off is a picture of the omniscience of our God. It is a picture of a God who is all-knowing. It is a picture of a God who is all-seeing. He is sitting and waiting on this day, not because he's not sure, but because he knows that his son is coming home because his son has never left his gaze. You can never wander outside of the gaze of your creator. He sees you everywhere that you are. So this picture that we have is not a father who's anxious. It's a picture of a father who's confident. It's a picture of a father who knows when to step onto that porch and look because he knows the day that he's returning. He sees him a far way off because he always sees. But listen to this. This is why I say that he's a radically emotional God. Because even though God knows where we are and what's happening and he knows the end result, he still has an emotional response to it as if he did not know. And it says the father was filled with compassion. He ran and threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. He feels so deeply that even though he knows that something is going to happen, his emotional response as if he were surprised. Think about things in your life. Somebody's throwing you a surprise party in, right? And there's always the one friend that slips up. Hey, excited for your party later on tonight. Oh, man. Right? Does it lessen the surprise a little bit? You try, right? You go, woo, you act surprised when you come in. Everybody jumps out. You don't want to tell anybody, right, that Joe spoiled it because Joe always spoils it. But because you know your emotional response in the moment is lessened, God in his sovereignty, even though he knows, his emotions are not affected in any way. That's just how deeply he feels. And when you read verses in the Bible that seem to imply that his emotions belie his omniscience, you read them the wrong way. Genesis 6.6, 6, it says, So the Lord was sorry that he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. It's not because he didn't know what was going to happen. It's because he just feels that deep for you. Come on. 1 Samuel 15, 10 through 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved. This is another sermon for another time. Was so deeply moved of what he heard. Then he heard this, that he cried out to the Lord all night. Come on, can it be that the depth of our emotion would match the depth of the emotion of our creator that would cause us to pray through a night with him? Oh, come on. It's not because he's surprised. It's not because he didn't know. It's because he is a radically emotional God and he 
feels deeply for you and for me. Jeremiah 3, 6 through 7. Have you seen what fickle Israel has done? Like a wife who commits adultery, Israel has worshipped other gods on every hill and under every green tree. I thought after she has done all this that she will return to me, but she did not. He's not surprised. Come on, he's radically emotional. So here we turn back to Luke 15, and the picture of the Father is the picture of God for us. Quick, bring the finest robe. It is as if he didn't know that he was coming home. Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him and kill the fatted calf. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life, lost, but is now found. So the party began. All right. Come on. Let's keep jumping into. This is our Isaiah 40 commercial break. I'm telling you, if you have not spent any time with this text, you need to spend some time with it this week. The most boastful chapter of the nature of God in all the Bible. Who will you compare me to? Who is my equal, he says. Look up and see who created these. He brings out the starry hosts by number. He calls all of them by name. Because of his great power and strength, not one of them is missing. Jacob, why do you say in Israel, why do you assert my way is hidden from the Lord and my claim is ignored by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God the creator of the whole earth. He never grows faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the weary and strength to the powerless. You want to know why we like to dance and sing and shout and clap during worship? Is because we have an Isaiah 40 revelation of who God is. When you read that chapter, how can you not move just a little bit? Come on, when that worship band's on that platform. He is a radical God. He feels deeply for you. Come on, may we feel deeply for him. He's radically emotional because he cares about our depth of feeling. It's important that we understand this. God is radically emotional because he wants to be able to initiate a love relationship with you that transcends humanity. There is a ceiling to our ability to love one another because we're human. But I believe that God enables us to experience a depth of love for him like we can feel with no other person on this earth. My wife wants me to love God more than I love her so that I can love her better. My children want me to love God more than I love them so that I can love them deeper still. God feels deeply for you and wants you to have a revelation of the depth of the feeling that he has for you because he wants you to know that because of this great depth of feeling that he has, that he has the ability to invite you into a relationship with you that will cause you to feel so deeply for him that you cannot begin to express in any language that this earth can offer you what's on here on the inside. So we're at MacArthur Mall this week, right? I do not cook, but I do love to shop, okay? Just, yeah. So we were at the conference, and we had a big break, and Juice was like, what, what are you going to do with your, with your break? I was like, I got this book that I'm reading. I should, right? I should do something pastoral, right? But you know what I did? There was a mall in Richmond I hadn't been to yet, so I went there and walked around and did some shopping. I know, yeah, right? So just so you ladies, just if you were angry at me because I don't cook, one of my favorite things to do is go shopping with my wife. So just breaking even, breaking even tonight, breaking even. So we're at MacArthur Mall as a family last Monday. Claire keeps walking up to me over and over and over that day. Comes up close to me, grabs in my hand with this big smile. She said, I love you, Daddy. 
over and over and over. I would have bought her anything in that store if she had asked, right? Not because she wanted something. Not because she was, right, she was in trouble and she was trying to avoid some punishment that was coming when we got home, right? Because we've all been there as parents. You just, you just wait till we get home, right? None of that had happened. She just kept coming up and holding my hand and saying, I love you, Daddy. I love you, Daddy. God keeps stepping up next to you all the days of your life. And if you will let him, come on. He will take you by the hand and whisper such things into your ear and your heart will spill over with feelings of affection for him. I don't care how tough you are. I don't care how quiet and reserved you are by way of your personality. I don't care how analytical and how much of a thinker you are. I am telling you the love relationship that God wants you to have with him transcends all of that that he will cause your heart to gush for him if you let him. He's radically emotional. He's radically emotional. Okay, come on. One more. He's radically forgetful. Not because he's old, right? Some of you are thinking, wow, I'm more like God than I thought I was. He's radically forgetful. Radically forgetful. Listen to this verse. Come on, the parable of the prodigal son, right, or the prodigal father, it just keeps giving us truth. Verse 28 says, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. Now, let me tell you a little bit of why he's so angry. Because in Jesus' day, the way that, that the family's wealth was divided amongst the sons, not amongst the ladies. Sorry, ladies, come on. It was just amongst the sons. It's a bad time. It's a bad time. Is it the son's? If you have five, the wealth will be divided up six ways, and the oldest son would get a double portion. So if there were three sons, the wealth will be divided up four ways. The oldest son gets a double portion because they're responsible for taking care of their, their family. So part of it is a reward for their responsibility. Sometimes there's an added expense of being the caregiver and the patriarch for the house. So the, the, the system was set up to make sure that they were funded to step into that place of responsibility. So the son, right, the oldest son, the money gets divided three ways, gets divided three ways. The younger son only gets one portion, he gets two. I don't think he's too upset about that, right? He's getting an early cash in himself. And then he knows that one day his father is going to pass, the son's not going to come home, and then he's going to get all of what remains. But the son, he comes back. And the father doesn't relegate him to servant status, does he? He puts a ring on his finger. What do you think that ring signifies? He's the son of the house. Puts a robe on him. So the father is inviting him back in to the family, which means that one day it's all going to get divided up again. He gives lots of reasons why he's angry, but he's angry because he's greedy. He doesn't want to share in what remains with his brother. And so what he begins to do as we read through, he begins to recount to the father all of the sins of the brother. He left early. He asked you for money when he shouldn't have. He broke social protocol in our culture. Then he squandered it on prostitutes. He's defamed our family name. He's going on and on and on with the list. He just wants his father to remember the sins that the brother 
has committed, but the father just can't seem to remember any of it. None of it. One of the names that the devil is given in the Bible is he's the accuser of the brethren. He loves to remind God of what we've done. And you know what God says back to him? I don't really have any recollection of that. Right? Not in the bad way the politicians say it, but in the good way a sovereign God can say it. He is the only one who can forgive sin, but even greater, he can forget it. We, we do not have the capacity to forget sin. We don't. If someone's ever counseled you, well, you've not forgiven them until you forget. You cannot forget. That's bad counsel. You just have to keep forgiving every time you remember. Now, at some point, the pain that it brings to you should lessen. We should be able to look back into our past and remember the things that people have done to us and, 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 and not be, be driven by the emotional consequence of it. At some point, the pain should begin to disappear over time, but you will always remember. But God says, come on, he is a radical God. He literally has the ability to not recall the bad things that you and I have done. Listen to this verse on Isaiah 43, 25. I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake. It's powerful, isn't it? We're going to talk about why that is. For, not for your, for, for his sake, for my own sake. And will never think of them again. Listen to this verse. Once again, you will have compassion on us and you will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. There is no verse in the Bible that says he throws them into the sea of forgetfulness. It's a hybrid between the one we just read and this one. We kind of mash them together. But the concept is still the same. Psalm 103.12, listen to this. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. He stands in front of us. Come on, 1 John 1, 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he does not remember. He forgets them. All right. Isaiah 40. Oh, come on. I'm telling you, I hope I'm inspiring you to spend some time in this chapter this week. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or marked, marked off the heavens with the span of his hand? Who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure or weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in scales? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Who gave him his counsel? Who did he consult with? Who gave him understanding? And taught him the paths of justice. Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Look, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are considered as a speck of dust on the scales. He lifts up the islands like fine dust. Lebanon is not enough fuel for its animals, enough for its burnt offerings. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are considered by him as nothing and emptiness, not because he does not care, but by way of a comparison of the magnitude of who God is. If, if, if I had a scientific mind and even could begin to wrestle with the complexity of how big the universe is, which I don't, but I know it's really big. Even, in, even the universe, and that's unfathomable size, it's small to God. It's just how grand and big he is. And he could do anything with that power that he wants to. And one of the things that he chooses to do is to forget 
the mistakes that you and I made. Oh, come on. He is radically forgetful because he cares about our personal identity. He's radically forgetful but because he cares about our personal identity. That with which you identify will become your identity. So when this son comes back home, he puts a ring on him and a robe on him because he is saying to his son, I do not see you for who you used to be and neither will you. I see you for who you're going to become. I don't even see you for who you are in this moment. I only see you for the son that you will one day be. And so it is with God with you and I. He does not see us for who we used to be. He does not see us for the mistakes that we made. He doesn't even see us for who we are now. He only and always sees us for who we are going to become. And he speaks those words over our life, even though they are undeserving at times because he wants us to see ourselves as he sees us so that we can rise up with a sense of confidence, walk out of the consequence that we've just learned our lesson so that we can begin to have the impact on the world that we're supposed to have. And all along the way, have a heart that gushes with love for him. That with which you identify will become your identity. I've made big mistakes in my life, some that you'll probably never know about. You've made mistakes in your life that probably many people in this room will never know about. And if you continually allow, come on, your own human heart, other people who don't care about you, family members sometimes that think they have your best interests at heart, but they just keep tearing you down because they don't want you to forget who you used to be or the devil himself. Come on, there has got to be something inside of us that says, I am a Luke 15, child of the Father. I have a ring on my finger and a robe on my shoulder. I am his child, and who I used to be is not going to define me. What's going to define me is what God speaks over me, and he speaks over me that I'm his child. The identity that we have is an important component of us having the impact in the world that we're supposed to have. Otherwise, we will always cower in the face of challenge. We will shrink back from radical moments because we will see ourselves as the inadequate person of who we used to be. But something inside of us has got to say, I can because of who God is inside of me and who he's calling me to be that I can rise up and make this mark in this world that God is asking me to make. Hebrews 10, 14. Come on, another couple of chapters. If you're looking for something to dig around in this week, Hebrews 9 and 10. It says that Jesus was the sacrifice forever making perfect those who are being sanctified. It's a powerful verse. Jesus' death on the cross makes it possible for us to step into the moment of forgiveness of sin, into the forgetfulness of God. Perfect in God's eyes. But the writer of Hebrews, he just, he, he dials it in right at the end. Who are being sanctified. Just because we're seen as perfect in his eyes does not mean that we're going to spend the rest of our lives resting on our laurels and say, because God has forgotten what I've done, he only sees me as his son, I'm just going to stay right here. He wants us to grow into the identity that he gives us on the front end of our relationship with him. He wants us to grow up into it. And we're not ever going to get there. But come on, as a church, we say it all the time. We need to get closer than we are today. I'm going to invite Kevin Tully to come up. He's going to share a song with us.
Come on, he's a radical God. Jehovah Azotos. He's radically unconventional because he cares about your impact. He's radically emotional because he cares about your depth of feeling. He's, he's radically forgetful because he cares about your personal identity. So Isaiah 40, it wraps up this way. Listen to this. Come on, Patrick Kitely at, at Origins last night. He was working out of this text. I leaned over to Nate and says, oh, come on, Nate. I'm closing my sermon with that verse tomorrow. Come on. Even pastors need encouragement. They are on the right track. It says, but those who trust in the Lord, he will renew their strength. He began to talk about that word renew and what it means. And in the Hebrew, it means an exchange. It means you exchange your strength for his strength. He will renew your strength. You enter into an exchange with God. But listen to what it says, that you will soar on wings like eagles. Come on, stand with me. You will soar on wings of eagles. You will run and not be weary. Come on, you will walk and not faint. So we just declare over the people of this house tonight, here in Newport News and in Williamsburg, that we're going to be a people that mount up with wings of eagles. Oh God, that we are going to soar to the great heights of the destiny that you've called us to. That we are going to soar, oh God, to the great heights of the impact that we are supposed to have on this earth. That that picture of that eagle drafting on the winds in the canyon and climbing to higher and higher and higher and higher heights. Oh, may it be a picture of each of us, oh God, the people of the City Life Church, that we will rise to the heights of the impact and the destiny that you've called us to have. And that we're going to run. We're going to not be weary. That we're going to run with courage we're going to run with courage because we know that we are much loved. We are not going to grow weary in loneliness. We're not going to grow weary in isolation. We're not going to grow weary because we're emotionally depleted. That there's going to be a strength in our step, not just because we're well-rested, not just because we take care of these bodies, oh God, but we're going to run with something a little bit added and extra because we know that we find pleasure in your gaze. That we're going to run with a little bit extra of a step because we know that the creator of the universe smiles upon us and that we will walk and not faint. Oh, God. Come on, we declare it tonight over the City Life Church and everybody in the house here in Williamsburg, Father. Even the people who come on there at home watching television, they don't even know they're going to be in the City Life Church one day. Come on, we're praying over them. They're going to feel, they aren't even going to know what it is. Come on. We're praying over future generations, God, when we're dead and gone and this church is still here on this peninsula ministering as we pass it on to the next generation. Those that are coming, we declare this word over them tonight in Jesus' name, that they will walk and they will not faint, that they're going to walk with a confidence because they know that they are a child of the Most High. They're going to walk and not faint because there's going to be a confidence inside of them that says, I know that I am chosen by my God. They're the same words that you spoke over Jesus. You're going to speak over us that this is my child that I love and with whom I'm well pleased. That we know who we are because we know you and we know what you've spoken over us. We're going to mount up with wings of eagles. We're going to run and we're not going to be weary. We're going to walk and not faint. In Jesus' name, come on. Let's do this song together.